0: Jade Software presents Beta and Beyond, the RegTech Modernisation Podcast. Welcome back everybody to Beta and Beyond. This is your host, Michael Howard. Today, the topic is, when did data governance get so complicated? We are joined by Rohan Light. Welcome to the show, Rohan.
1: Ah, kia ora, kia ora. Thank you for having me.
0: No problem. For the benefit of those listening who may have a loose or limited understanding of today's topic, what is data governance?
1: Uh, it's rule setting, or setting rules around something, in this case data. So, we have governance for every large system uh, in society that we're a part of. We have governance for our machines, like a brake, um, our engines have governance. Um, and so, data governance is just rules applied to data, uh, where data is a different thing. It's a, it has unique properties.
0: Yeah, cool. So thinking about the history of data governance, uh, then it's not something that's necessarily new. Data's been around for uh, for a long, long time as soon as computers were kind of established. So can you give us a bit of a um, a look back on where it's come from and how it's progressed?
1: Yeah, cool. Data has been around as long as there's been counting. So for as long as humans have been able to record, uh, this, the simplest notation on a tally stick, which mm. is you know thousands and thousands of years old, have been creating data. Um, the thing is, the ability to create digital um, analogs of things and people, including people, uh, and perform statistical operations on those things uh, eventually bec- become a rights issue for someone
0: mm.
1: and um, the the change occurred around 2014 um, I think there was a big there was a bit of a build in 2013 but in 2014 2015 we saw um, a whole bunch of data governance professionals in New Zealand start. Thinking differently about the problems facing them, and by which I mean privacy, uh, cybersecurity, and information management professionals. That's the core.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So all of those um, individuals started thinking uh, in terms of the richer and deeper sense of what it meant to be uh, to govern data, and the term floated up, kaitiaki, kaitiakitanga, mm-hmm. um, stewardship. And it was a, a, a term that connected really closely to both um, tikaka thinking and, um, you know, default Pakiha public sector thinking. So the, the two aligned really well. And then that um, uh, took off into 2015. Um, and then in 2016 came Cambridge Analytica, that big Facebook um, allowing uh third parties to process facebook users identities in order to create a a political advantage and as we saw it was um, a significant advantage and that changed the tone so all of a sudden um the questions being asked of how to set the rules around data couldn't be explained as well Um, so the privacy and cyber security and information management professionals were still doing their job really well but the unexplained the risk space had increased significantly Mm. and so then what happens is we got a lot more um awareness around uh how coders and programmers input bias they instantiate bias they reify themselves in the uh, instruments they make People started thinking that through. There was um, some brilliant work coming out of the EU. In 2018, we got the GDPR, the big benchmark legislation over there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Um, And then since uh, from that, uh, obviously, things bubbled up. There was a greater awareness of human rights issues in data and then bang, COVID hits, knocks the top off everything and everyone gets a really good baseline and that's what is occurring right now that's why we're seeing some extremely strong and raw issues expressed as data governance issues because they um, instantiate much of what's occurring in our modern society
0: yeah for sure i mean the rest of the world's only just starting to come out of of lockdowns etc aren't they so yeah the whole um digital-only um, ways of working has been uh, quite rampant. We've been pretty lucky here in New Zealand.
1: Yeah, we're very lucky. Mm. Um, and in many ways, we're also very unlucky because we've, uh, globally there's this awful, colossal, you know, painful experience and total pain, mm. and we've um, dodged that bullet, which is great, but it does mean that um, we can find it difficult to empathise the depth of the change that's occurring. And so there's this element in the New Zealand data governance psyche to underplay things. Yeah, sure. where, where actually we are as at risk as these other nations, except it hasn't been exposed here because we've avoided that severe trauma of losing you know, tens of thousands of our citizens. I mean, imagine that if we had those um, fatality rates here will be mm. it would be tremendously traumatic for our society.
0: Yeah, sure. So uh, you're part of um, a, an organization called the New Zealand Data Trust. Um, so yeah. can you tell us a little bit about that and how that is responding or working with um, some of those uh, overseas jurisdictions, et cetera, to bring in the learnings that they've been having, which we haven't, as you touched on, um,
1: Right. Yeah, good call. Okay, so um, New Zealand Data Trust is the current incarnation of uh, what was the Data Futures Partnership, which was uh, a derivation of the Data Futures Forum, (laughs) which started in 2014. So that's Mm -hmm. under the key government at the time. Um, And... um, uh, so the NZ Data Trust is um, the current guardian of that taonga, that uh, that treasure. And so their work um, started this or solidified the social license conversation, the fact that, or this, this concept that a society or community provides license for um, people to do things on their behalf. Uh, and in um, Te Kāinga Māori thinking, that's extended to cultural license, which is a very—it's a very good um, rights-based approach to approaching any data governance uh, situation. It's called mm. patient-centric patient, um, ethics. Um, and so, Data Futures Partnership got onto social license, and then they got into um, governance for. Governance of data for New Zealand boards, because there wasn't any guidance mm. so they had they'd realized that in the New Zealand board environment it was data was not seen as a an asset on the same scale as finance or money they, it mm. could it was not seen as a um, a financializable instrument, but then after a while it, it suddenly. People started realizing that actually it is an asset and it has unique risk properties. so mm. it can actually be devalued very, very quickly, very, very very, very, very volatile because it's a trust-based instrument, and that's why you have data governance
0: sure. okay. Um, you touched on it a little bit before um, with the Cambridge Analytica. Um, scenario um, and what sort of followed on from there. So um, is that, do you think, one of the best sort of ways to set the scene of um, what data governance is?
1: Definitely, Mm -hmm. definitely. Anyone can perform a Google search, right? So what Cambridge Analytica gave us was the story started bubbling in October 2015, which started getting very faint signals and then there was this big burst in November, December 2015, and then the story progressively broke across 2016, mm-hmm. which means that we can use um, because we because it's been datified, we know the breadcrumbs, we can we can identify quite clearly um, I, you know, best practice ideas before Cambridge Analytica and best practice ideas after Mm. Cambridge Analytica, and we can use the whole scenario to test whether or not we have, you know, the right instruments in place. And that's what makes it a very useful teaching example. And so then there's been four years since then. Um, we, we, we can see that the, um, the Trump administration and the whole relationship with Facebook and Twitter um, digital platforms, the Americanization of it all, how everyone suddenly got drawn into it and mm-hmm. it became a part of their world, and that tells us about how viral this digital experience is. And it, it gave us lots and lots and lots and lots of questions. And the, the, the main message, I, I would say at the moment, is it's all about getting diversity of view into the decision room, because that'll tell you actually what your risk service is
0: Yeah, sure. What kind of um, sort of structures have been put in place to make sure something like this doesn't happen again?
1: Uh, um, Not much Mm. um, because it's exposed the semi-independent power of these colossal data platforms. Mm. Um, They're cross-jurisdictional, and uh, remember, the tax, the where you pay your tax um, issue has been working through the system for a good 10, 20 years now. Mm. And it's, only, it's only now bringing these large data corporations you know, to heel in the, in the basic taxation terms. Mm. But it tells us that we've got a long way to go before we can actually um, regulate or get a sense that there is a proper market equilibrium at the moment. There's too much harm being converted into risk. Mm. And then that risk is arbitraged and then it's dumped out the side, essentially. Um, and usually, because data associates to people very strongly, um, where there's data risk, there's human risk.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's also, the um, I believe, the Facebook oversight um boards. Um, That's been, that was set up at some stage, wasn't it? So um, has that been a useful tool?
1: Yeah, Yeah. it's been really useful. Very, very useful. Most people can draw a lesson from their current situation. For an organisation that is a private organisation or a not-for-profit or one of those um, hybrid organisations that is seeking to establish a digital platform um, now has to think about how that the effects of that platform is mediated across and out into the community Mm. so it's um overall it's a it's a very positive thing that we're seeing it's how we grasp onto it that's the issue Mm. now the thing that facebook and its oversight board is facebook created it so Mm. it wasn't externally mandated so that means it's only useful to the degree that Facebook will follow the board.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Now, in all, normal organisations, it's reversed, of course. The board tells management what to do. Not in this particular case where the management created a board. Now, it's, a, it's in terms of decision science, the cases are dissimilar enough to need to call them out. Now, the challenge, the opportunity for an organization that was looking to capture what we can call the the, you know, the responsible technology premium is to create a really good board that does obtain independence and mm-hmm. can create that governance um, input. And the reason is, is that Ultimately, it's the governance that underwrites the value of the data asset because no one really believes what management teams say, <laughs>
0: sure.
1: right? It's, so, it's true, though. Um, if you really look at the big scandals, eventually it comes down to chairman versus CE. Mm. Those differences are hard-coded into that model, but we don't know if they're hard-coded into the current model. And that's what makes the Facebook Oversight Board very interesting to look at.
0: Mm. And is it likely that there will be some separation or some independence that will, um, from a long-term perspective, or um, are they just going to sit on it themselves?
1: Well, go one of two directions, mm. um, and how strongly we don't know. Um, Facebook, to its credit, did um, stump up enough independent cash that could be properly managed by the Oversight Board to obtain Financial um, independence, mm. so it can cover, it can control for its financial risk, um, its influential, it's influencing risk. There, um, the board, um, the numbers of the board is um, set quite high, which enables actually enables a lot of representation. Mm. Actually the board was appointed, the members were appointed by Facebook following a consultation process which was really good um, and since then the board has added new members and there will come a time when pure numbers tells us that the oversight board has obtained um, constitutional independence that's another large area of risk it will have control for however it's still we don't it's only binding to the extent that Facebook enables it to be binding so yeah. What this is is actually a really, 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 really good view on the effectiveness of self-regulation. Mm. Yep. Oh,
0: cool. Mm. It's good to see. Good to see that happening, even um, just however mature it is. Uh, at,
1: yeah. Well, it's just like anything at the start when we're when we're observing something. And remember, like it's it's only really caught our eye since twenty fifteen. It's it's nothing in terms of mm. history. We do have to observe what it looks like so we can get a sense of what it looks like when it starts to emerge in our own in our own area. Because it does and it will.
0: Mm. Cool. So the tech sector is like any industry, it has its own lexicon practices and nuances. Yet unlike other sectors, the definitions and ways of working can vary from business to business, team to team, and even from employee to employee. So when we think about this in a data governance context, what dangers are there if there isn't a consensus on terminology, practices, et cetera?
1: Uh, great question. So people are too far apart for communication to be like a mesh. Mm. So it's not so close and inclusive. Communication is more like, um, you know, star travel where there's a lot of distance between people and people have to send really... Um, you know, tight packets of information to and from each other. Mm. It means there's always going to be a lag and there's always going to be more questions unanswered. And this is one of the big things that I'm seeing with regards to how the data governance professions are communicating with each other about what's going on and about the signals that we're receiving. So at the moment, we still desperately need to um, model the environment better. That'll help. it will actually help us communicate better about it. So, in practically speaking, what you're, what people are looking for for the communications uh, around what this data governance thing is, is critical areas where, um, organ our professions agree. So we fun- We have to proceed from consensus and a uh, considered and discussed and professional consensus, knowing that the number of Terms in common might be quite few, Mm. so we might be very literate in our own terms, but we only have five words that we share. Imagine that makes makes a lot of yeah puts a lot of pressure on communication. Mm. So um, for anyone listening, the main lens at the moment where the risk is where the risk is trending, it's cybersecurity, cybersecurity, cybersecurity. We just got hit. New Zealand just got hit by Kaseya, um, and we got, we got hit pretty hard and through the school system, as it turns mm-hmm. out. So this is the thing about data risk. It, it can pop up from nowhere, anywhere, at any time. So it's a, in terms of a threat event, it's basically logarithmic. Mm-hmm. You get, a, you'll get a, a, a short warning, a couple of other warnings, and then suddenly it hits. So, there
0: you go. Cool. Um, from a uh, New Zealand perspective, who's leading the market when it comes to data governance and how does that compare to overseas?
1: The, um, we have a good history. So, first of all, um, we, we do. We've had a privacy act for a long time. We've had um, good regulatory bodies there. Um, we've actually, New Zealand has actually got a really strong baseline um, and we probably need to talk about it and celebrate it much more and um, the uh, Digital Council of Aotearoa um, was a good one or is a good one. They're putting out a good stream of good balanced material and they back it up. Yeah. Um, they did a piece on trust um, which has been one of the the four you know, the old four data, futures, principles, value, inclusion, trust and control. Pardon me. Um, Where I'm seeing the best work being done, it is invariably with uh, tikanga Māori professionals or professionals who have come in uh, close contact with um, data professionals coming from a tikanga Māori perspective. And the reason, there are some interesting reasons why, Mm. Um, because when you work in data, you get used to thinking in terms of languages. You know, there's R, there's Python in terms of programming languages. So in data governance, there's different languages as well. There's the European, there's the American, there's the Chinese. They all uh, emphasize different elements, um, all three of which in New Zealand we share to different degrees. So Mm. Um, it's a very, it's an interesting um, and it's an interesting situation. So the the professional that I would say is the um, he he is the the acid test of um, uh, what should be or could be is Karaitiana Tauru. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, then there's Atifai Tibble who is the um, who is influential down here in Wellington at any rate. Um, but as I understand it from, from them, there is uh, quite a large and growing community um, of Māori data pr- practitioners. Mm. And I, I think it is one of the key secrets why New Zealand can actually um, put some good products out in the market.
0: And it comes down to that stewardship, doesn't it? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, there's. I'm doing. I'm doing a paper on it. um Intercultural data ethics, and, mm-hmm. and it turns out that there is a significant difference between anthropocentric, I do for me, to, to biocentric, we do for us, mm-hmm. and um the difference in New Zealand can definitely be associated to the relationship historically between Maori um, and Pakeha.
0: Yeah, cool. Yeah. Looking forward to uh, having a look at that when it's done.
1: Yeah, well, yeah. Um, in November, <laughs> I think we're meant to um, present it, but it's just, it's just um, we're just starting to pull out the main uh, testable propositions now. Yeah,
0: cool. Um, is there much of is the public sector leading or lagging the private sector? Is there much of a difference um, at this stage?
1: Uh, I think it's leading, and correct, pro- correctly so. Mm. And here is the um, here is the analog: um, the interwebs, which constitute a huge part of our lives, um, can be accurately um, reperceived as government infrastructure, structure, just like roads, mm. just like roads and rails, opened up different parts of the country. Um, so, so did the interweb. The um, the situation that public servants find themselves in is they are charged by the public via various acts to do the best for the public, um, in keeping with ministerial objectives and in the realities. So, actually, public servants realise that they are guardians for future voices. And ha- here's the way to think about it. What if we could have um, given the vote to women much earlier because they were asking for it much earlier. So why didn't we give it to them much earlier, considering that we gave it to them much later uh, and the world is much, much better for it. So some good things should actually happen quite quickly. Um, so the, the, that's the dilemma for the public servant is mm. they've got to try and kick the ball out far enough ahead um, but not too far so that it um, careers off a cliff, which is often what happens. It's the, the, um, the dilemma of the public servant. However, in the, public, in the private sector and the not-profit for sector, you find different bubbles, mm. different ways of looking at things. And those areas are in many ways much more advanced than the public sector.
0: Mm.
1: It tells us that ours is a composite problem.
0: Yeah, sure. I've I've been um, quite impressed just with the talent that, like, the public sector has been able to attract, and clearly because yep. there is that opportunity to, um, to really tackle some um, some large scale um, issues. So,
1: for sure, mm-hmm. um, it we have, like I said, there's momentum. W- w- when a wave um, hits you at the beach, it knocks you over if there's if there's a big, you know a bit large amplitude if there's actually a lot of water moving mm. with it. And in New Zealand data governance, there's a lot of water moving. It's been building now for quite a few years. Um, it's being empowered by the Open Data um, Charter, uh, the various things we've done to or try and meet that. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a lot to be said for us.
0: Yeah, cool. <laughs> so um, we've heard a little bit about the algorithm charter of Aotearoa in New Zealand. Um, yeah are there any other bodies in New Zealand that are helping organisations to improve their data governance capabilities?
1: Who haven't I mentioned? I mentioned (laughs) Digital Council, um, uh, Te te Mana uh, Um, uh, The thing is it's like a thread You'll, mm. it, might, it might look as if there's only a few options, but once you start following the threads, that's when you come across the richness mm. uh, of what's going on. Um, yeah, Digital Council of Aotearoa uh, will probably give you the best broadest view into it. Mm. Um, that is in a, a, what I would call a governed environment. The AI heads would go to the AI forum.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, the uh, legal people um, would go to the Law Foundation and the Otago University work,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, which they had a very influential piece drop in
0: 2019.
1: Yeah. Um, the, all, the heap, all the interesting stuff in the system is happening uh, in the Te Kaka Māori space because every uh, unseen assumption that we have in our system can be reviewed. Mm. Um and that's important because data governance is all about the governance of models. Yes, it's not just about the raw, the raw th- um, data. You know, the the dust. It's about the actual framework, the winnowing. Mm. That, that's important.
0: Yeah, cool. Um, thinking about bias um, in data governance. So, how how is that best um, addressed? Uh, from what you've been seeing.
1: Um be realistic. So the realistic element is any human operator that pre- um, performs statistical operations on raw data um, imbues uh, certain p- perspectives and points of view. Some of those points of view can reliably uh, be said to produce other harms. And you know, they, they are often what we would call bias. Uh, the reason why we have to get clear about it is because it's actually a specific term in statistical operations. Mm. That um, we need to get clear of um, or understand the the difference of the political side. Yeah. The um, the interesting thing is is that the more you remove from the from the perspective, the the poorer it becomes. Mm. Um, one thing which you see is that uh, after a while. Um it's all the stories added together. That's important. Um, and so bias can actually mean not enough stories added.
0: Sure.
1: Um, because then you'll actually get a sense of how things all um uh connect. And it's this it's this uh, it's where everything is touching that makes data governance so important to have a rich and broad um, basic viewpoint on.
0: Mm. So this um, standard deviation is one sort of statistical term for um, for statistics. Um, is there anything that's similar for for bias? Then, but like is there a bias deviation that'd be interesting to <laughs> <laughs> or confidence levels? I guess <laughs> I would. I would
1: be counting the number of official measures. On bias.
0: Mm.
1: So we're actually we actually have to ask um, the epistemic question. We have to ask the higher order question. If you walk into a place, two two different businesses, you know that they both perform modern data processing activities. You go to one, you ask to see the definition of bias, and there are three terms. You go to the other one, definition of bias. There are twenty four terms. Wow. Which would you feel more comfortable
0: with? Well, I could probably understand and comprehend the three terms because it's a lot simpler, but
1: <laughs> yeah, okay. Um and so then you go for the three terms, yeah. and what has happened is that there are actually twenty four terms. Mm. um twenty one have been taken out, and of the twenty one taken out all apply to you.. <laughs> That's the. That's what I would be looking for. Yeah. Where there is, um, what we would call reduced dimensionality, that's where there's probably
0: risk. Yeah. So. Yeah. Very interesting.
1: It is a. Eh? It yeah. is. Yeah. Because thinking about it now, everyone's thinking in terms of their COVID risk factors, mm. right? So now you say there's 24 COVID risk factors. Would you rather go to the website that told you about three or 24?
0: I think people like simplicity, but from a governance perspective, it's not necessarily... Yeah. 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 Mm. From, a, from a a life ex- expectancy,
1: mm. guaranteed people will.
0: Yeah.
1: Guaranteed, because they'll know that, you know, they might not have told anyone, but they, they might have a heart murmur. Yes. They're going to go straight away, um, in, in, influences on, um you know, uh, the, the various underlying mechanisms of the body and you'll find yeah. that in 24 not the three
0: yes
1: yes so there is actually risk to under dimensionality and that's yeah. how i'd answer your question
0: it's a good illustration so thanks <laughs> thanks for sharing yeah, no um way. so i get lastly um what risks are organizations exposing themselves to if they don't put in place strong robust data governance principles
1: Uh, I would use a metaphor, imagine you're bringing the apple harvest in and any apple could go rotten between uh, 30 days and 30 seconds. Mm. So the risks are around revenue foregone Mm -hmm. or costs, uh, avoidable costs paid um, and long-term erosion of an asset base. Um, And initially, however, initially the risk is all around a Kaseya-style risk, that there's something in your IT portfolio that's going to shut down something large and that will imperil all your data. It will imperil either the data store you have or the data flows that you're attached to. So
0: it's
1: actually quite significant
0: yeah and i guess as well there's um it's not necessarily a, a um a risk per se but if you don't have strong data governance you also won't have strong machine learning predictive analytics um so um so capability in your business so you're missing out on the gold um, potentially from what they can offer too
1: yeah the um it all comes down to what can you certify yeah. So data governance data can't be governed beyond its certification. So a really well-governed data-governed analytics operation, for instance, is really clear about how it routinely controls for things, and if it's smart, um, would enable third-party infrastructure around it to um, control for the testing. Mm. And that control, that results then feeds into its uh, market signals. And this is how you turn data governance into um, an asset producing thing.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Mm. There's GDPR data risk here mm-hmm. in New Zealand, when data relating to EU nationals is processed. Yeah. Okay. So anytime, anytime you're in a store and there's um, some tourists in Germany or something, um, mm. That's someone's data risk.
0: Mm.
1: Okay. How, uh, at the moment, um, EU's going through its re- its issue in its next stage of legislation, the AI regs. Mm. Um, they're building on top of GDPR. Um, it can, it does come down to the extent with which someone is determined to use the legal system to prove a point. Mm. Um, on the in the Case of public administrators, um, yeah, it's not likely that uh, people in New Zealand are exposed to much risk in that regard. However, um, if um, you've got data processing activities here uh, and the majority of your operations is elsewhere, then yes, the risk goes both ways. That's the thing with data; always goes both ways. Mm.
0: Uh, we actually haven't touched on it or the consumer data. Um, yeah, uh, either, so right. So um I mean that's going to come in soon and then it will have a whole lot of um, compliance um, sort of outcomes or um that will fall off the back of that, won't it? So um, how would you say boards and execs need to approach that uh, from a governance perspective?
1: the message is consumer data portability enables a market and organizations will be able to compete um, into areas that consumers are now more interested in the ethical Mm -hmm. domain and so the the question the 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 warning is, the the population locked into your products via data portability issues, um, you know, you're not so strong there anymore. So if you've been relying on essentially um, renting, if you've just been renting, um, you're in trouble. If you are designing a product to enable trust, which can be done,
0: yeah.
1: then this is a market opportunity, because people will move. And the, the data portability is a great example of modern data infrastructure.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, we're, it's great.
0: Yeah, and we've seen the huge take-up um, and backing of sustainability. Um, and the, the rise in organisations that have um, are taking that seriously. So um, yeah, that portability, the trust yep. centre, that'll uh, follow in certain, doubt.
1: Yeah, it's how we create market economics through data governance. Mm. That's why I'm a believer in it. I'm a believer in it, because it can help reduce transaction costs between businesses within a social construct. In mm. Kiwis, you know we are actually quite tight knit. I mean, we we sling rocks at each other, but if we had to, we'd come. We come together. Mm. We have to. We come together, and you can see that in the black jersey. You know, even if you don't like rugby, you'll you'll take it seriously. You'll you'll respect it, and it's the same thing with our Anzac traditions and all that mm. sort of stuff. From what I've seen over the last few years, there's nothing stopping New Zealand. Taking a really progressive, but also economically savvy step forward.
0: Yeah, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing what plays out in the next twelve months in the space, because sounds like there's a lot, a uh, lot happening for the for the good.
1: Yeah, same.
0: Amazing. So, um, what well, that brings us to an end um, of the show for now. Um, so, thanks for joining us today, Rohan. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me thank you to everyone else who's joined us on the show as well uh, whether for the first time or as a regular if you've liked what you've seen today or heard um, and know someone that might also be interested feel free to share the podcast with them so um, thanks everyone and we'll see you back here shortly